This is Episode 6 of Beyond the Bulletin. Hello and welcome to Episode 6 of Beyond the Bulletin. I'm Brandon Sweet, Editor of the Daily Bulletin. And I'm Pamela Smythe, Media Relations Manager. We're coming to you not quite live from East Campus 5. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Like we do every week, we'll talk about some of the top stories featured in the Daily Bulletin and look ahead to what's happening inside and outside Ring Road. We'll also take the opportunity to speak with people and personalities on campus about key issues that matter. This week's interview focuses on the course evaluation project. I get an update from David Davidi, chair of the project team and U Waterloo's new associate vice president academic. Now, here's what happened. After 52 years of serving, empowering, and representing students at the university, the Federation of Students, or FEDS, is going to be changing its name and launching a rebranding initiative to better engage undergraduate students at the university. The student union will henceforth be known as the Waterloo Undergraduate Student Association, or WUSA. The intent here is more than just a visual change for students. The goal is to change the way they think of everything that a student union does and how students should interact with it. So the organization is going to take the opportunity to revisit its purpose as a student union. They envision a phased launch of their new brand, with a soft launch taking place now over the spring term, and they'll begin using their new name with incoming first-year students over the summer in their orientation communications, while new visual elements, including a logo, will launch at the end of July in preparation for September. So, full disclosure, I got my start at the university working for the Federation of Students in 2001. You never talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I always do, actually. It seems to keep coming up. (laughs) I worked as an executive assistant slash researcher um, supporting Students' Council and the elected uh, student executives. And I spent a great deal of time poring over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore about the history of student government and the student movement at the University of Waterloo. So this is a bit personal for me. Um, To talk about the Federation of Students, you have to go back 60 years uh, to the first Students' Council that got its start at Waterloo College, now Wilfrid Laurier University, uh, and involved the Upstart Engineering Society, made up of those uh, new engineering students attending the associate faculties at Waterloo College, which was the forerunner to the University of Waterloo. Are you with me so far, Pamela? So far. So when the University of Waterloo was established as its own institution, Uh, The students of the Engineering Society um, took that idea of a student's council with them down Dearborn Street to the new campus that was being built. And as additional faculties like science and arts were added to the university's fold, uh, these students began organizing. Uh, The University of Waterloo's Students' Council had its first official meeting in October of 1960 in room 137 of the Chemistry Building. Wow, that is a lot of detail. Oh, I have more, but I won't get into it. Okay. Uh, Well... To a certain degree. Um, So at the time, the university was collecting student fees directly and doling them out to constituents. Uh, The Engineering Society had already taken the lead on uh, raising funds for a campus center. The Students' Council um, had, you know, some work to do to establish itself, and it started to grow. They added uh, committees and boards that handled uh, publications like the Corypheus, the university's student-run newspaper, which was later known as the Chevron. And boy, we could do an entire podcast episode on the Chevron, believe me. (laughs) And there were other boards that handled uh, student activities and external representation in larger provincial associations. And so by the time, you know, 1964 rolls around, there's a recognition that this name, Students' Council, no longer really fits the increasingly complicated uh, network of bodies and groups that were working in the name of students on campus. 
And additionally, these students were taking a more active role on major issues uh, within Ring Road, like the construction of this campus center, which mm. is now known as the Student Life Center. Right. Um, really a building uh, funded uh, by students, um, for students, as well as the rights of students to vote uh, in the riding where they lived while at university, not in their home ridings. Mm. And that was uh, actually the... Uh, the impetus for the very first official, you know, sort of student protest. Uh, when you think of the 60s, and I'm doing air quotes around the <laughs> yes. 60s, um, that was, uh, you know, a pretty serious topic um, wow. of, uh, of interest for students. And uh, so there was a, a protest march that went from the university uh, right up in, into uh, Uptown Waterloo. And, you know, effigies may or may not have been burned. Wow. Signs may, not have been, may or may not have been uh, um, hefted. Um, and so on and so forth. The drive was to more firmly establish an independent, uh, self-funding organization on campus. And so they came up with this title, uh, the University of Waterloo Federation of Students, which was considered an alternative to this you know, Students Council or Students Council Plus, whatever was going on. <laughs> this name change was more than symbolic because student leaders were really seeking to reinvent the idea of student government. Um, into a campus-wide association with all students uh, as its members. So a federation, hmm. if you will. And so in the mid-60s, students, in collaboration with faculty and university administrators, they all worked together on this new constitution for a federation, which ended up passing uh, by referendum in March 1965 with 30% uh, voter turnout, which isn't too shabby, all things considered. And so this organization really, this new federation was intended to promote the welfare and interests of students at Waterloo, um, to promote and coordinate student participation in athletics and cultural and social activities, uh, to maintain communications between the student body and the authorities of the university, um, and to encourage uh, inter-university cooperation and communication. On April 27th, 1967, the Federation of Students became an incorporated body separate from the University of Waterloo and was a corporation without share capital under the laws of the province of Ontario. Um, and this independent incorporation of the Federation turned, you know, independence and autonomy into a key issue uh, that's endured for more than half a century. Mm. Um, I could go on, <laughs> but for now... Yes, he could. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> for now, it seems, it seems that we're at another sort of turning point. Uh, in the history of, you know, student government at, at the university. Um, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where this rebranding initiative uh, leads and how uh, a student association uh, functions, particularly in this the new provincial environment where student union fees have been made uh, optional rather than mandatory. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. they wanted to be able to raise money to uh, support student services and support student activities, clubs, societies, all that, uh, all that stuff that's under their umbrella. So um, the future, I think, interesting is, is one word that you can use to uh, describe it um, yeah. as they go ahead and uh, um, consult with students and launch this rebranding initiative um, for the fall. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to get more into this rebranding um, in a future interview. So we'll hear more about it from them directly. Oh, I can't wait to can't wait to listen. In the meantime, you are a wealth of institutional knowledge. Well, at least on this topic, um, and also on you know music. But maybe <laughs> maybe I'll stop there. Um, a team of global business and digital arts students from the Stratford School of Interaction Design and Business has won the World Vision Social Challenge. Congratulations! This particular challenge had students focus on the waste problem in the Philippines. The student team developed something called virtuous waste an alternative to plastic packaging made of seaweed that they pitched before a panel of industry experts and social entrepreneurs on June 19th in Toronto. 
That's amazing. I love this idea. Mm -hmm. The student's response to this challenge was a proactive solution focused on eliminating plastic permanently, but didn't force residents to change their habits. Wait, he means saving the environment while not having to actually change any behavior? That's the dream, Pamela. That's your dream. That's my dream. (laughs) I don't know if we should go there. I'm going there. (laughs) Okay. Their research indicated that residents buy single-use plastic sachets for their toiletries, and due to lack of proper waste management infrastructure, they just throw their garbage into the nearby river. They landed on using seaweed in their solution, as it's water-soluble, edible, grows abundantly in the Philippines, and has nutrients that restore biodiversity. Their solution has the potential to help the environment and the economy by partnering with local seaweed farmers. Virtuous Waste was selected from over 60 different teams from across Canada who competed in the challenge. The student team's winning solution will receive $25,000 in funding for implementation during a 12-month incubation period. I love it. I'll be watching this. And now, looking ahead. The 2019 President's Community Impact Award nominations open on July 17th. These awards were launched in 2017 as part of the legacy of the university's 60th anniversary celebrations. The President's Community Impact Awards recognize and celebrate those who embody the spirit of innovation and who contribute to making Waterloo Region strong and prosperous. Award winners may be distinguished through such community service activities as volunteer work, public speaking, school outreach, or other forms of outstanding community service. There are two categories, the Community Leader Awards, which include current University of Waterloo students, faculty, and staff members, and the University Champion Awards. A University Champion is an individual or organization from Waterloo Region and the City of Stratford who has demonstrated commitment to championing the impact of the University in our community, either through partnership with the institution or in working with individual students, faculty, or staff of the University. And up to two awards in each category can be awarded each year. The nomination deadline is Monday, September 23rd at 8 p.m. So sharpen up your pencils and get nominating. Check our episode show notes for links on nomination guidelines and past award winners. And now the interview. The course evaluation project team was established in 2014 to look at best practices for course evaluations and the potential for a new way of conducting them at Waterloo. In 2017, Senate approved the CEPT final report. As chair of the project team for the implementation phase, David Davidi oversees the implementation of the recommendations and shares a progress report. Hey Dave, first of all, congratulations on your new position as Associate Vice President Academic. Well, thank you. You're actually here in a different capacity. You're here as Chair of the Course Evaluation Project Team. So you'll be providing an update to Senate in September, I understand. Um, But before we get into that, and for the benefit of those who maybe aren't terribly familiar with it, we should maybe provide a little bit of background. Course evaluations are an important part of well, I guess student surveys, as we probably would be better to call them nowadays. Um, They're an important part of what we do at the university uh, because they feature in how we get things done in various ways. They're part of our program review process. They're part of our evaluation of how good a job teachers are doing. Instructors use them to uh, as feedback Mm -hmm. for themselves so they, they can continually try to improve what they're doing in the classes that they teach. At the time that the project first got going, we really had different instruments in play in different faculties, and none of them had really been studied. Senate approved the final report of the course evaluation project team in September of 2017, and then we moved into the first part of implementation, phase two. What did that entail? One of the key recommendations was that we have a cascaded model. Okay, what does that mean? 
Well, what that means is that there would be some questions that ask about stuff that matters for every course on campus. Uh, so you ask them about every University of Waterloo course. But then there might be other questions or other things that matter in every engineering course, but they don't matter in every arts course. Okay. So you'd have engineering-specific questions on the second tier. Okay. And, uh, and then there might be, for specific programs, uh, questions that might matter in psychology, say, but don't matter in recreation and leisure studies. So you might have a third tier where you have program-specific questions. Okay. One of the things that they did in phase one was they surveyed the literature on on good design of these instruments and also they did a, a fairly comprehensive look at what really counts as quality teaching and they looked at various reports that the University of Waterloo has produced over the years about what do we think matters as teachers mm -hmm. you know uh, when, when we talk about teaching at Waterloo and so they left us a, a draft of the core questions, the ones that oh, okay. will be asked for every course on campus. And so what we needed to do was to see whether that draft was a good instrument or not, and that's what we've been working on. So we've really done two big pieces of research on that. Last summer, we did focus groups in every faculty. We got 250 students who volunteered. Terrific. And, uh, and so we had those focus groups, and we did various things, but among them we said, well, you know, before we showed them the questionnaire, we said, well, when you're going to give somebody a score that says that they're a really, they've done a really good job of teaching in a course, what are you looking for? All right. And what they came back with, the things that they cared about were the things that we were asking about in the core questionnaire. Mm. And then the second thing we did is a, a large um, pilot test of the instrument. So with all the surveys that were done in fall of 2018, all across campus, every course offered at Waterloo that term that had an electronic uh, survey done, we also asked students to complete the, uh, the draft instrument. So then we can sort of see how it's behaving. So what are the core questions? Can you give me an, an example? Well, I guess maybe it would be more helpful to just say they're, they're really intended to ask about, in various ways, about three different things okay. that we think are important for every course on campus. And roughly those would be the design of the course. And so things there would be, is the, are the evaluations that determine what America is, for instance, are they actually measuring what you've told me matters in the course? Content delivery, I guess you could call the second one, right? And then the third thing is, does the instructor do a good job of creating a, a learning environment that, that sort of breeds success in the course? And so those are the three things that really we're asking about. And we think those matter whatever the course is, whether it's online or on campus, whether it's a discussion course or a lecture course. Those things always matter. One of the concerns about students evaluating courses pertains to bias. Um, how is this new tool going to address this concern about bias? That's a really important part of our mandate and a really important part of what we're trying to do in an important way. I think it's useful to sort of preface that by saying it's not surprising that student surveys would show signs of bias of various sorts because we're measuring the reactions of, of human beings and human beings, they come equipped with that. That's standard equipment for most humans is various sorts of bias. The issue isn't bias itself. It's not knowing very much about the kind of bias that you're dealing with. So what we're trying to do is to get a clear picture, well, I mean, two parts. We are doing our best to write questions that avoid 
problematic language that we know to provoke biased responses. So we've tried to produce a tool that will minimize biased responses as best we can. And then the second part of it is we, we did this pilot test to try to discover something about how that tool behaves at Waterloo. Right. So you did a, tell me about this pilot test. We got over 42,000 responses when we ran it in uh, fall of 2018. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are now in the process of working through the analysis of what we're seeing. And that should provide us some really good information about how various things affect scores. Because it's not only, for instance, gender bias that you might worry about. Right. There's a question of large classes versus small classes. So mm -hmm. we're keeping an eye on that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, we're, there's no way we can consider every possible source of bias, but we're looking at the ones that the research literature has suggested probably need the most attention. And the results are still preliminary, but what we're seeing is that, for instance, overall, for each of the questions, the difference between male and female instructors is very small. Um, you know, small enough that it's very unlikely that it's going to make a difference in somebody's annual performance score. But that's not the end of the story. We're also going to look more closely, take a, a more holistic look at the data to see whether, okay, that's the overall score, the overall difference between men and women. Does it make a difference, for instance, by rank? Because it might turn out that for assistant professors, there's a bigger difference between male and female instructors. And so the goal is to then provide that information in users' guides that we're going to produce for instructors and for people doing performance reviews to tell them the information they need to make sound judgments. What are these surveys actually telling us? This tool then, so you're still evaluating it or you're still analyzing the data. Does this mean it's still a work in progress? It might change? Conceivably. Uh, but the right now, the preliminary results, I would say, are promising. And so when I report to Senate in September, I hope to be able to give a little bit more substantial evidence based on the analysis that is happening now to say, here's how the instrument is behaving. Here are the draft uh, user's guides. Uh, what we would like to do now is get the go-ahead from, I mean, this would, I guess, be a later stage in the fall, get the go-ahead from the deans, maybe from Senate again, from everybody who needs to say, yes, it's time to move forward. Wheels grind slowly sometimes, but, uh, you know, we want to have everybody saying, okay, now's the time to go ahead so that you actually implement this core instrument all across campus, and we'll get feedback on the, uh, on the user's guides from the people who will have to use them. Then what happens? As I said, it's a cascaded model that we're after. We're going to be launching phase three, and that means that we're going to be going to each faculty saying, okay, are there things that matter in every course in AHS, right? That aren't asked about in the core questions. Mm. And if there are, what kinds of questions will help us uncover useful information about those, those things? We are on our way to being one of the leaders in Ontario on taking a more holistic approach to evaluating teaching. We recognize students can tell you lots of important things, but that can't be the only thing that you use when you look at the quality of somebody's teaching. Um, so we now have also another committee on the go looking at what are called complementary 
methods for assessing teaching. Oh, like what? Well, peer review of teaching is one that often uh, gets mentioned. A colleague can evaluate things like, is the material in the course up to date in a way that students are never going to be able to do? What are the main things that you want people to know about this next phase? I want people to know that, well, really about both phases that I've been involved in, that it really is about taking people's concerns about courses, you know, student surveys seriously while recognizing that they're an important tool that does stuff that we have no other tools that we can use and that are important to the university. So the issues of bias are ones that we're addressing head on. We're doing our best to mitigate bias when it's there, and we're trying to quantify, you know, sort of the degrees of bias that seem to be in place. We're not asking students to evaluate things that they're not well-placed to evaluate. Students should have an appropriate say in shaping their education. And Student surveys are also an important part of how they can do that. They can tell us what works and what doesn't for them. And so recognizing the importance of the student voice is also something that that these things do. And where can people who want to know more about this, uh, where can they go for more information? So we've actually put together a new website that has timelines, that has our key documents. And so it's just been launched. Unfortunately, if you just try to search on the web page, there's various documents called Teaching Evaluation Project out there, and some of them might be the old one. We'll put the uh, link in our show notes on SoundCloud. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Dave Davidi, for being here. We look forward to another update. Yes, I hope we continue to progress. And thanks for having me. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. You can find additional information and links about the items we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes on SoundCloud. To ensure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So you've heard from us, now we'd like to hear from you. Send us your feedback and comments to bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. Thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. You feeling a little bit nostalgic about this whole Feds to Woosa change? Sure, you know, I worked with them for five years, and if the Bomb Shelter Pub were still operating, I would be pouring one out for my Feds homies. Thank you.